On this week's episode of Slashers, it's time to talk about... Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode for a special track from our friends, Spell. Destiny. Fight! Nothing in this world prepared you for this. Combat begins. Flawless victory. Test your might. That's all of the goddamn taglines for this movie, but I love that nothing in the world has prepared you for this except the fucking video game this is based on. This is Slashers, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, Brian. Brian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Get over here. I see what you did there. Uh, freeze. Oh, hey. <laughs> Is that what Sub Zero says? I'm not exactly sure. I'm Baraka and I have teeth. Urgh. Was it teeth or was it like um, his hands that turned into blades? Or was uh, it both? D, all of the above. Yeah. He was like, I feel like he was, was it Tekken? No, it wasn't Tekken. What was Blanca? Blanca is Street Fighter. Street Fighter, right? So I feel like he was Mortal Kombat's like Blanca. For sure. The video game is a ripoff of several things. So why don't we just get into it? This week we're doing Mortal Kombat. And in order to do the movie, you have to do the game. Game came out in 1992, developed predominantly by Ed Boon and John Tobias. A team of four men created a game in eight months that blew the world apart. It helped spawn the ESRB. It ended up being an 18-game franchise, including spin-offs, including cartoon series and TV. And I mean, the merchandising and the goddamn song. Can you believe those humble origins? Yeah, it's really cool seeing all these classic video games and where they came from. Like as far as like Super Mario and even just Pong, right? Where it's just like something so simple and it is still so relevant today. Yeah, I actually watched an awesome video. So YouTube is rife with a bunch of like video game historians, whether it be consoles or games. Have you ever heard of a game from Sega Saturn called Power Slave? I have not. It's but it named sounds awesome. Power Slave after Iron Butt fucking Maiden. How cool is that? I was going to say, it, it sounds like it could be like a power metal band. Yeah. So like you play as a dude, it's kind of like a little bit of Stargate action going on where you're a guy who's like King Ramses resurrects to help you fight aliens and shit. I'm like, yeah, I want a Sega Saturn now. I'll probably just get an emulator and a ROM, but whatever, I'll do it. I think Sega Saturn wasn't that considered like one of the worst uh, consoles to like ever be created. Yeah. Basically, like it costs so much money to make and they tried to sell them for like stupid amounts of money and everybody's like, nah, I'm all right. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, its starting price was $3.99 and then the PlayStation was $2.99. And that was the only thing they said at this expo. So it's kind of like legendarily famous for just like missing the mark entirely. And also like if you're going to do a surprise launch, maybe don't make it super expensive because you know 400 bucks from 1990s money you adjust for inflation it's like yeah that's a terrible amount of money to just be hey kid who has no savings and no allowance (laughs) buy this right i i feel like this is kind of sega saturn correlated with dreamcast in a way I love my Dreamcast. I still play that some bitch. It's like Oh, do you? It's one of my favorite systems ever. And people always make fun of the controller, but then like go ahead and look at the Xbox controller and tell me it's not the same goddamn thing. Yeah, I remember playing hours and hours of that taxi game. It was super Crazy fun. Taxi? Yeah, buddy. I feel like that was like the game of Dreamcast. The game of Dreamcast for me is Power Stone and Power Stone 2. And basically, if you like Super Smash Brothers, pull your thumb out of your own ass and go find a a copy of Power Stone or an emulator and a ROM of it because Jesus Christ, it's three-dimensional Smash Brothers. You're running around this huge map jumping and hitting shit and getting boxes and oh, it's delightful. It's a better fighting game, in my opinion, than Mortal Kombat. But then again, everything else is. So let's get into it because you actually like it. Well, I mean, I'm a Street Fighter guy. And so you have custom sprites and animations (laughs) and all this music. And then it gets to this and like it's cool. Like the digitized sprite is cool, but everybody does the same uppercut and all that stuff. And really, the whole game is fatalities, which are almost an afterthought in the game. Brian, you know how originally Shang Tsung was the only character who would do a fatality. 
And they just, right. on a whim, just gave it to every character. Does that blow your mind? Yeah, I mean, good call on them because it become their like selling point, right? Where they're just like, okay, you need to figure out what everybody's finishing move is. And honestly, I never understood how anybody could figure it out, especially when you have like, what, eight or nine seconds, maybe 10 seconds max to figure out how to do something before it's like, okay, and then the guy just falls over. And you're like... Son of a bitch! I just uppercutted him again. Well, especially if you were going over to a friend's house, like the amount of shame when you didn't know it—it it was like a big hype. I remember, like, I only ever learned like one, or probably for like Sub Zero, and I would only right. ever do the one. And so I was proud of myself for even knowing one without having a copy of the game and being at my friend's house. But they were always like, "Why don't you play as anybody but Sub Zero? It's so broken." And it's like I didn't want to admit that I was poor and didn't have a copy of the game and didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the easiest one for me to figure out was the Johnny Cage uppercut and it just like hits somebody's head off. And it's like the cheesiest one ever. And it's funny that he doesn't even do any of that in the movie like at all. Well, I mean, obviously not uppercut somebody's head off, but maybe just an uppercut would have been great, right? Just something that resembles what you do in the in the video game, but whatever. Yeah. So with regard to the game Mortal Kombat with a K, you know how late in development that was they came up with that name? Out of an eight-month schedule, they only figured out the name of it six months in. Fatalities had a name before the game had a name, and Fatality was almost the name of the game. Does that blow your mind? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. The other names they were tossing <laughs> around were Kumite, Death Blow, and Dragon Attack. And wow, that would be just a very different world, right? I don't, I don't know if they could even get away with calling it Kumite, right? I mean... Well, so that, sport, that gets into the other trivia. So originally, these guys were going to be doing a Universal Soldier game. That's right. The Dolph Lundgren, Jean-Claude Van Damme Universal Soldier movie. So so they just had a hard-on for Jean-Claude Van Damme, essentially. So kind of this game is like a fuck you because that deal didn't work. So Johnny Cage is just a parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme, so much so that the outfit he wears is directly inspired by Bloodsport. And he even does the splits and nad punch in the movie as an homage to that. So, yeah, I think they kind of got their panties in a twist. I mean, I have the vapors for Jean-Claude, but that's probably because of his hair and Lionheart. <laughs> there you go. So going just kind of into the ether of Mortal Kombat, the game was a huge success, both in arcade and home consoles. I, mean, I had friends who had the Super Nintendo version, even though they weren't called fatalities anymore and all that shit, and there was no blood and what have you. But did you know that there was a novelization of this movie that was based on a game? I did not. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was under the pseudonym of Martin Del Rio, which was actually James D. McDonald and Deborah Doyle. And yeah, it was based on an early version. And it had, you know, obviously it's an early version of the script that gets kind of queened down. But pretty amazing that they got anything out of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think just the thought of like a novelization of this game when it's just essentially two people standing and fighting each other in just a random room and you have a limited amount of abilities that you're able to do. But it's interesting. I feel like video games like this almost crossover into actual sports right transcend I, transcend there you go video games like this transcend into ultimate fighting championships right yeah, truly because like when you look at the way that they did the Oct octagon was originally as an homage to you know the pit in the arena and uh, you know the way of the dragon and whatnot so i completely agree yeah so i wonder what kind of fatalities different fighters would have <laughs> I know what uh, Alistair Overeem would do. He'd just take a big syringe and shove it up his ass, and then he'd shoot fire out of his mouth. Big old horse-sized sperm on fire would impregnate his <laughs> opponent to death. That's how much of a man Alistair Overeem is, right? I, I was going to say, with Alistair Overeem, I feel like we would go into the weird different things for Mortal Kombat like when they started doing animalities and he would just turn into a horse and just fucking like horse kick somebody like and would like take their head off or something. I'm all about it. Did you ever read any of the comic books that Malibu Comics did? No, I did not. Yeah, so it was actually written and illustrated by John Tobias. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, not the coolest thing ever, but you know, it's, it's up there. It's got seven of the characters and Goro, so that's neat. Are they are they pretty graphic? No, not at all. It's very very oh. plain. But Malibu has a really good reputation at the time of being you know slightly edgy, but not full blown like ooh. 
I think it would be fun to have a Mortal Kombat made that is rated R. They're Call doing me crazy. That. Wait, what? Yeah, James Wan's doing that. That's in my notes. We'll get to it. So hold that wow. thought. This is me taking a pin, putting it in it, and we move on. <laughs> did you ever hear about Mortal Kombat Live Tour? No, I did not. So it was a stunt show, like you'd see at like a Universal, where they would tour around and people would pretend to be Sonya Blade and Raiden and blah, blah, blah. And uh, kids gobbled that shit up with a spoon. A la like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were coming out of our shells kind of stage productions. And this was at Universal Studios, you said? No, it was like a touring show, but I'm just saying it's it's comparable in terms of like oh, got scope it, got and it. quality. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of like what they do now with like Disneyland when it comes to having the princess and Pocahontas yep. and everything else. Everybody else just kind of walking around the park aimlessly. So that's pretty cool. Profiting off of existing intellectual property. You also had Mortal Kombat The Journey Begins, which was an animated sequel to the movie. 54 minutes written by the same fella, Kevin Droney. Um, it actually was kind of interesting because it fused animation with some motion capture and CGI effects. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out for a 1995 film. There you go. How about that uh, wrestler that was basically Sub-Zero? <laughs> Glacier? Don't you ever yeah. say anything unkind about Glacier and his nemesis <laughs> Mortis as played by Chris Canyon as an homage to Reptile? I know all about it, Brian. Do you yeah, know how much think, it fucking costs to do his intro? It was like 10 think, grand a night. Yeah, I think you, you sent me the video to watch on like his like backstory and everything. It's actually pretty sad. Yeah, he still wrestles and does like appearances and stuff today. It's super cool. Yeah. So huh. have you seen the 1997 sequel film Mortal Kombat Annihilation? I have not. I wouldn't. I rewatched it again for this and <laughs> I vividly remember being a kid. I vividly fucking remember this. And when Raiden is, when he gets like the sting haircut, he gets like a blonde flat top. As a child, I was like, this is so bad. I remember like being conscious of it being a bad movie. And that was like a coming of age activity for me. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm sure. So <laughs> was Raiden like randomly a white dude in the animated show as well? Yeah. So Christopher Lambert got recast uh, by James Remar, who was in The Warriors. And so I, by this point in my life, I had already seen The Warriors, which if this is 1997, I was 10 years old. So I'm pretty proud of that. So I knew him as Ajax and I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. And then he's like terrible and the movie sucks. And I was like, this is not awesome. But he's wearing a vest, so it's coming some. <laughs> but like there's so much dumb shit like for you remember in the 90s there were those like gyroscopic things where you'd put your hands up and it would like spin around yeah yeah there like there's a scene inexplicably where there's just those and they just like go through the earth as a maze like a means of conveyance and it's terrible i feel like they had those things in double dare for some reason they're like all right guys strap in and go around in circles and then we're gonna have you go through a maze and do a bunch of shit i was really sad that i didn't get put on double dare i feel like i would have fucking killed it we should bring it back just cover you in yeah. slime and slide you around my garage whoa 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 what? whoa! i don't know about <laughs> what kind of slime we talking your butt i don't know it's a patreon exclusive though i'll tell you that right now <laughs> <sighs> So there's some hilarious dumb stuff. Liu <laughs> Kang dodges a missile that's fucking hilarious. Sub-Zero literally flies into a scene freezing a robot. And it's just like he's fucking Mighty Mouse or something. Like the whole thing is just weird. There's a centaur that looks exactly like Chris Pontius from Wild Boys and Jackass. It is just so bad, but I highly recommend it because it's just it's just terrible schlock. And it's, it, you know, what is it, like 85 minutes again? I think that you'll be fine. Yeah. So was Goro like some super jack dude? I feel like Goro is like a perfect looking monster when it comes to like uh, the main bad guy. Right. You have did he have four hands? Did he have six yeah, hands? Four. I forget. Six, four hands, yeah, four arms, I guess you can say. He's just like some super jacked freaking four-armed monster. And I really love the perfect. idea that he would just have four hands but no arms, so he's just like a torso <laughs> with like some like jazz hands coming out of him. <laughs> that would be kind of terrifying, especially if they're like super long coke nails or something. And he's singing like show tunes like guys and dolls, and it's just jazz <laughs> hands at you. I'm all about that. <laughs> 
There were two spin-off TV series. There was Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, which was in 1996 and had 13 episodes and aired in a one-hour block with the Street Fighter animated cartoon. Then there was Mortal Kombat Conquest from 1998 to 1999 that had 22 whopping episodes. Neither of them are very good, but I had to mention them because I'm a completionist and I even watched a couple episodes <laughs> of both because, I you know, I just like suffering. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, Jake. Yep. 2011 to 2013, you had Mortal Kombat Legacy, which is live action. Then you had Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, came out earlier this year on April 14th. That is my new favorite Mortal Kombat film. I watched it in preparation of this episode, and it was fucking delightful. And Joel McHale plays Johnny Cage, and it's the best acting ever. So where can you find this? Uh, Piracy? <laughs> no you can find it, it on like okay. amazon and youtube and stuff that one's gonna cost you so i don't know if people know this about our show or have tracked it but i actually went and did the analytics and almost every single episode we've done is either now free or was free or with no additional cost as opposed to your general netflix and prime accounts you know at, at the time that we recorded it so we always try and make sure that we're doing that, even if it's obscure, that it's free so that it's easily accessible. And so that's why, even though this Mortal Kombat film that we're doing is only my second favorite, we didn't do the Scorpion's Revenge just because I'm not going to expect that you, our listening audience, would have to shell out three bucks just to understand what the fuck I'm babbling about. Listen here, fuck boys and girls. Dish out the money and go watch this movie. Blah. It was good, though. There's actually there's a really cool homage where Liu Kang uses the same combination that he used in this movie to kill Shang Tsung. So that's nice. And, uh, you know, it's it centers around Scorpion, but it's not solely a Scorpion movie. It's basically just this movie again. But Scorpion's a bigger character and he actually has like a story arc. Joel McHale, that was the guy from Talk Soup. Yeah. Right? And Community. And Community. So I feel like. He is essentially just playing Jeff Winger, but as a martial artist. Yep. Yeah, it was great. So Jennifer Carpenter, she plays Sonya Blade. You might remember she was Dexter's sister, who was also married to the guy who played Dexter. Kind of weird. But uh, she kicks Joel McHale's character, Johnny Cage, in the dick like five times in it. He's like, oh, my fucking dick. And I was like, what? I love this. This is great. Keep swearing. That's awesome. I'll check it out. And then. To your earlier point in 2021, I mean, I don't know if it's still going to be 2021 based on shooting schedules and whatnot being completely thrown out the window due to the coronavirus, but tentatively, we are scheduled to have Mortal Kombat once again. Now, shall I get into the statistics for this week? Let's fucking do this shit. On a budget of $18 million, this movie grossed $122.1 million. Wow, woe we wow. Yeah, I feel like they definitely made this movie at the right time, right? At the peak of like arcade madness, essentially, yep. where you just have malls across America that are just pumping out multiple Mortal Kombat like arcades, right? Because you can imagine if it's so popular, you're not going to have like a line of kids just waiting to play one arcade of Mortal Kombat. They're prob they probably had like, fuck, at least three or four of them, right? 100%. And what's really, I mean, it, what blows my mind is how you go from such high quality in this movie to the next one just being such garbage. And I'm like, you know, you have a franchise here. Like, you have a proven method of success. You could strike while the iron is hot, and they just botched it, uh, which just, it, I, I marvel at how that happened. Do you think they were just, do you think they were just riding high on the first movie and they're like, well, we're just going to collect on this and then everybody's just going to expect this next movie to be amazing. So we're just going to fucking half-ass it. Yeah. And Paul W.S. Anderson didn't want to come back for it. So that, I think that had a huge impact in terms of the continuity because say what you will about some of his movies not being at best, but like they're competently made and they're on schedule and on budget. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So it debuted August 18th, 1995. Shall I get in some competition? Yeah, buddy. On August 4th, you had Bushwhacked. On the 11th, Such a good movie. <laughs> you had A Kid in King Arthur's Court and Babysitter's Club. Then on the 25th, you had Desperado, Lord of Illusions, and Magic in the Water. I think that's the Loch Ness Monster movie where the monster eats Oreos. Does that sound familiar at all? Nope. Got nothing. 
But uh, Bushwhacked and Desperado, two fucking great movies. Yeah, you know, for two very different reasons. <laughs> seriously, I was just about to say, I'd love to hear Daniel Stern sing the Eagles song of the same name, Desperado. Why don't you come do your senses? Yeah, buddy. The runtime of the film: a hundred and one minutes of pure, almost fell asleep, but didn't quite get their bliss. Yeah, I fell asleep one time during this, and I hate to say it, but it was probably in one of the more memorable parts in the movie as a kid was when Johnny Cage does the splits and punches Goro in the nads. Did you not rewind it? I fell asleep, and then I, when I woke up, he had like his face you know, kind of leaning forward and he was just like, oh, and I'm like, oh, this is the nad punching part. Oh, well, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So the film was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. If you have been a ride or die mutant goon from beyond, you'll know that our pilot episode was actually on the movie Event Horizon, which he did. Fun fact, he also did Soldier, which was an unofficial sequel to Blade Runner, Resident Evil, Aliens vs. Predator. Uh, He has three children with Mila Jovovich. So, I mean, hey, not bad. You know, what's interesting is I feel like every single one of these movies could be video games. Obviously, Mortal Kombat is. Obviously, Resident Evil is. Uh, Alien vs. Predator. I don't know if it is a video game. It is? Yep. It started off as a video game and then became a movie. Event Horizon totally could be a video game. In fact, I feel like there probably are new video games based off of Event Horizon. 100%. You can look at Dead Space in any number of games and you're like, oh, wait, hey, hold on. Come back. Dial that back. Let's see what's going on. And that other movie, Soldier, did have a video game, but it wasn't very good. So, hey, though. There you go. Then let's move on. Uh, One thing I really wanted to say in honor of Mr. Paul W.S. Anderson, I really appreciate how candid he is about his career. He refers to himself as a, quote, populist filmmaker who's more concerned just that his movies entertain people and he doesn't really care if you consider them art, which I, I, you know, I think is pretty refreshing in the modern times of things. Yeah, it just seems like he's a he's a director for the people, right? He doesn't care about any of the snooty critics that have their artsy inputs on the movie. He's just like, well, I don't know. That's cool. I'm going to go ahead and take that opinion and throw it to the side. <laughs> yeah, and move the fuck on because I have a hot wife and a lot of money and a plenty of shit to do. There you go. So it was written by Kevin Droney. Who gives a fuck? I want to talk about the producer, Lawrence <laughs> Kasanoff. Why do I want to talk about him? He's produced some things that are near and dear to the essence of my being. Party Camp, Blood Diner. I'm not going to acknowledge that he did Chud 2. Class of 1999, a gnome named Norm, Ghoulies 3, True Lies. Come on, man. Just a crazy awesome career, and you should be so lucky to support him. Fun fact, he's allegedly been working on a Tetris movie for several years now, so we'll see if that ever actually sees the light of day. Oh, that's pretty cool. So the music was George S. Clinton with additional guitar work from Buckethead. I mean, Buckethead? Hell yeah, I'm into it. Did you know there were three records that came out for this film? I did not. Although, if I do recall, I want to say that a good portion of the music in this film just like killed it when it comes to like recognition and like apparently going platinum and shit. Yeah. So there was Mortal Kombat, the motion picture score, Mortal Kombat, the motion picture soundtrack that went platinum in just 10 days. And that was number 10 on the Billboard Top 200 for being a soundtrack. That's amazing. Then there was Mortal Kombat, More Combat, which was songs that didn't actually appear in the movie, but they were just inspired by. Like That's when you know that you're having a cult phenomenon or I guess just a just a mainstream phenomenon when you could just put out a record that has nothing to do with it. And it just has the logo and people are like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna buy that Dragon CD. <laughs> right and it's funny looking back at like old pride videos when you'd see um what the fuck's his name bannerly silva i imagine him coming out to mortal Kombat. hell yeah right? darud <laughs> sandstorm is good but i feel like it's truly mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> shall we get into nicknames 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 Prick names. christopher lambert as Raiden, God of Thunder. Thunder! Ah, 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 ah. I expected us to chant together in honor of ACDC, but it did not happen. He was <laughs> in Highlander. He was in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. He sucks. 
I don't understand Christopher Lambert. I understand he's French and he has a really thick accent. And so he always, when he's speaking without his accent, sounds super fake and like whispery. And I hate it. I was just about to say he sounds whispery. Like, do you do you really not want anybody anybody else to hear what you're saying? Or I don't I, I don't understand. Raiding. God of thunder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I was sniff just Sonya Blade's hair for no reason. <sighs> Oh, dude. Oh, you know what? I wanted to say something. On oh, that you part, mean where you, where you say Raiden, but then you turn it into Biden, and then you say 2020. Bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to I was going to call him uh, Raidlander. <laughs> I like that a lot. So <laughs> did you know he actually wrote two novels? I did not. There are two French novels, La Filière Portée Bonheur and Le Jus. In 2011 and 2015, respectively. In the original 1992 game, he was played by Carlos Pacina, the more you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Going back to the fact that he's French, he actually got to dub himself in the French version. And because I have to crowbar the few movies that I actually enjoy in my life into every episode, did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger offered to do the German dub of Conan the Barbarian in the Conan the Barbarian movie? And they said no, because the Austrian Austrian accent sounds like a yokel kind of farm boy accent. And it would basically be like Conan the Barbarian would be like, what's best in life? I'll tell you what, man, I'll tell you to see your He's driven before you and hear lamentations <laughs> of the women. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> what was with him throughout the movie just randomly laughing? Yeah, I feel like it, it was like it was like added in like after the fact. He's just like, no, nah, you know what? I feel like I should really laugh right here. They're like, oh, I, I guess. It's I don't the know. end of the fucking world, man. And he's like, ha ha. It reminds me of Tommy Wiseau, I swear. <laughs> and it's funny because like even the people in the movie kind of look at him afterwards it almost seems like he's just so out of place right because he's lived for um, i guess a million years and uh he finds humor in the most random times i don't know yeah he's like the Cheshire cat of a character that's just oddly omniscient and completely vapid at the same time so you were going to call him what the the what lander the Raid Lander. The Raid Lander. Let's do it. Robin Shao or Shu is Liu Kang, a former Shaolin monk. Fun fact, in the movie, his brother is Chan. In the game, his brother is Chow. So for our purists out there, I caught the distinction. Don't worry, I didn't read that on any website. I knew that just from my encyclopedic knowledge of all things. That's interesting. I didn't even know there's probably so much backstory within these characters, right? And I have no idea about any of them because I was just like, well, this guy's fun to play because I can rip their heart out or I can rip their spine out. And (laughs) meanwhile, they have like a family and like, you know, this is like their day jobs before they come into the Mortal Kombat, right? Yeah, you have Sub-Zero on workers' compensation and crutches collecting temporary (laughs) disability while his wife and children leave him because he's addicted to opioids. Yeah, I could totally see that. That's the movie I want. Yeah. (laughs) And his asshole brother is just like fucking wearing yellow and telling people to get over here all the time and stuff. Fuck that guy. Ryan, let's trademark this idea. We want to remake Multiplicity with Michael Keaton. But it starts off where he's like Sub-Zero and then he clones himself and then he makes a scorpion. Then he clones himself and then he makes a reptile and he clones himself. Then he makes a smoke. And they're like, oh, this is a wacky situation. It's just so wacky. <laughs> so literally it's so bad. It's good. <laughs> in the game, it's the same fucking guy. And he's they didn't even change the costume. He just wore a red costume and they color corrected it to yellow and blue and green, respectively. Does that just blow your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I th- always thought it was really cheesy and how it's essentially the same guy. And then later on in the, in the video games that came out much later, you had Reptile with like a lizard face. And you're like, okay, cool. That actually makes a lot more sense because the name is fucking Reptile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to be just you punching somebody and then instead of the red color coming out, it's green. Oh my God, that is such a shocker, right? Yeah, right. So in the video game, he was actually played by Ho Sung Pak, who you might know played Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and 3. And he was also on a TV show called WMAC Masters, which was a kung fu karate style show that was kind of like a kid's version of pro wrestling meets Power Rangers that was terrible, but I have watched episodes of it as recently as last year, and it's kind of fun to laugh at. 
All I can say is he had a fucking sweet haircut. I want my hair to look like his. I hate him. It's like beautiful and black. And I mean, it's got like this Vidal Sassoon kind of body to it. I just, it just, I wanted, I mean, it's like a fucking lion's mane. You know what I mean? It was awesome. It's the main event. So he was in Beverly Hills Ninja, but then he also did two other video game movies. He was Jen in Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, and he was also in the pirate in DOA, Dead or Alive. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. I also did not know until doing research for this movie that he has a civil engineering degree from Cal State University, and he trained Mila Jovovovovovich for her roles in the Resident Evil films. How cool is that? Oh, so it all goes back around, right? I wonder, so was Anderson married to Mila during the making of this? I think they were just dating and they've had like a weird on and again, off again relationship, but things seems to have stabilized at the present. That's that's kind of cool that you have Anderson working with Robin Chu and then he ends up kind of training his future wife, right? So it's kind of cool that it's just like, small world within like the entertainment business i guess yeah so i wanted to call him the main event is that cool with you <laughs> with that hair yeah let's do it then you had lyndon ashby as johnny cage so he had trained in karate taekwondo and kung fu and he actually did a lot of his own sets but he ended up getting a bruised kidney so that's pretty fun uh, he was also in another film uh, in 2005 called Sub-Zero, which has no relation to this. And which is really interesting that I found was in the 1992 video game, the actor who did this was the actor who did Raiden's brother, uh, Daniel Pacina. So I know everything about Johnny Cage. And can we call him <laughs> anything but John claude Van Damme? Yeah, I don't know. I was I was going to call him like Chad or Brad or <laughs> one of those names where you could just imagine some stupid frat guy that has like the cheesiest, most sleaziest pickup lines and is like overbearing and doesn't ever get the hint. I don't know. <laughs> we could always just like get really deep and call him Frank Dukes. Oh, boy. My votes are going to be Jean-Claude or Frank Ducks because he's the guy who was the basis for so many characters who's also, I mean, he basically is Bloodsport. So it's your call. I defer to your good judgment. Jean-Claude it is. Ah, perfect. I like winning. Carrie <laughs> Hir- Hiroyuki, Hiroyuki Tagawa as Shang Tsung. God damn it, I love this man. Yeah, he he always had an interesting look to him. It almost looked like he spoke from the corner of his mouth, like when he was getting like super upset. And I don't know if that was on purpose or if it's just me calling him out for him, you know, and his speech impediment. Now I feel really bad about. It. No, no, I like the way he speaks because he has this like perma sneer, and he like flares yes, he his does. nostril and looks really intense. So he had also appeared in Big Trouble in Little China, the, the Phantom, and Vampires. And those are like some awesome movies that I love. I don't know if anybody gives a shit about them, but they're great. Actually, our friend's movie dumpster just did Vampires. So go ahead and check that out. And he actually does the voice of Shang Tsung in MK11 in the d- downloadable content. Isn't that the coolest? Yeah, that's pretty neat that they're giving a little throwback. I like it. So did you have anything for him? I was just going to call him a uh, fart face because it looks like he smelled a fart with his face. <laughs> He's a handsome yeah, guy, fair. but he's just always sneering because that's not his default face. It's just the face he makes for this character. It's funny. In the last in the last fight scene with him and Liu Kang, I was telling Michelle, it almost looks like with his outfit and his like flowing black hair, it reminds me of like a guy getting in a fight with his hairstylist. <laughs> I can totally see that. And nowadays, especially with people giving themselves quarantine haircuts, I think that's pretty uh, apropos. There you go. But so, yeah, fart face it is. Brigitte Wilson played Sonya Blade. Apparently, it was almost going to be Cameron Diaz who broke her goddamn wrist before filming. So it went to this lady. She was nicknamed Robo Babe by the director because she insisted on doing all of her own stunts and fight scenes. Didn't she get a couple injuries? She like dislocated her shoulder or yeah. something, I think. Which they set on set. How crazy is that? Yeah, she's a boss bitch, man. Intense. I want to call her uh, Veronica Vaughn, obviously. Okay, let's do it. Do you know who that is? No idea. Oh, dude, it's Billy Madison. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a teacher in Billy Madison. Okay, totally. She was in Billy Madison, or she was filming for... That is correct. Right, exactly. She was 
filming for Billy Madison. And then right afterwards, I guess she, they originally coined her for being Sonya Blade. And then she was like, sorry about it. I'm doing this um, Adam Sandler film. And then she actually wrapped up early, I guess. And then she's like, hey guys, guess what? I'm here. Let's do it. So totally worked out. Hey, in everybody's favor. She's probably one of the most memorable roles of her career. So another fun thing from the 1992 video game, she was played by is Elizabeth Malecki. I don't know who that is. Neither do I. It's just a name I found on the internet, and I'm trying to sound <laughs> smart. We had Talisa Soto as Princess Katana. Okay, she's good. Trevor Goddard as Kano. Uh, he, whatever. In the 1992 game, he was played by Richard Divizio. Did you miss me, baby? <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm getting to. So in the game, he's supposed to be Japanese-American, but then they retconned the character to be Australian because they thought that Goddard was Australian, but he's actually from the UK. So they just fucked up the character's origins, but hey, it works out. <laughs> if, if enough people are wrong, then they're just going to make it right. Exactly. So uh, then we had Chris Casamasa as Scorpion. And in the 1992 video game, he was played by Daniel Pessina. You had Francois Petit as Sub-Zero, which is kind of amazing. So this guy was the head doctor for World Wrestling Federation in the 1990s. And he actually appears in the movie Beyond the Mat in the infamous Foley Hell in a Cell match. And he's mentioned by name in Mick Foley's book, Have a Nice Day, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. I feel like anybody that's has anything to do with WWE slash WWF before WWE um, in the 90s. It's just like considered OG status, right? It was like the prime. Oh, of course. It was the Wild Wild West, Jim West Desperada. You had Keith Cook played Reptile. And again, Daniel Pacina. His mocap suit wasn't green or blue, but actually it was red. Which is kind of interesting because if you go to the colors that they used for the original game, they used the red for the chroma key to get to the blue, yellow, and green. So, haha, fun. <laughs> so, and then finally, we had Tom Woodruff Jr. as Goro. And in the game, he had been undefeated for 500 years. Only to lose by a nut shot. Yeah, dude, that's a pretty, pretty interesting thing. <laughs> Oh, man. Once you're at the top and then you fall, you fall pretty hard, huh? It's a long way to the top if you get hitting balls. <laughs> Shall we get into the sleigh-by-play of the movie? Yeah, buddy. So basically, I'm just going to do this. We've been trying to keep the show a little bit shorter to make sure it's more easily digestible, and we've kind of been touching on the high points. So let me just talk about this movie by talking about another movie. Brian, I'm going to tell you what happens, <laughs> and I want you to tell me what movie I'm talking about. Oh, boy. You did? So there's a Shaolin monk who enters a tournament to uh, avenge his younger sibling who has been affiliated with the tournament, right? That monk meets a rich guy who has a bunch of luggage, and he actually steals from the guy because he gets treated like the help. So he meets a black guy, really handsome fella, who gets murdered in this competition later on. He gets caught snooping around, and there's a giant dude. You know, let's say his name is Consonant Vowel, Consonant Vowel. And that guy gets defeated by being hit in the dick. There's <laughs> a climax in a room full of mirrors and the villain is impaled on a spike. And that's the end of the movie. What movie am I talking about? I don't have a buzzer, but I'm going to go with Bloodsport. No, Blood Enter Sport? the Dragon. Enter the Dragon. Son of a bitch. Yeah, so you might remember in Enter the Dragon, they get on a boat, they go from Hong Kong, they go to this tournament. The reason that Bruce Lee enters the tournament is to avenge his sister. You know, they, they meet this black guy with an afro, and in this movie, it's just some black guy without an afro who gets murdered. Both guys looking very sympathetic. Then you have the hot shot playboy in Enter the Dragon. It's the dude punching Bolo in the nuts. In this, it's uh, Johnny Cage hitting Goro in the nuts. And then, yeah, crazy when you put it together. Like, oh. I feel like anytime you have like secret tournament where people can die and we take the best fighters from around the world, it kind of has similarities to Bloodsport in a way. At least I see it that way. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's there's a certain like allure and story structure that goes. And also, like if you look at the Mortal Kombat game, it is very derivative and whether you want to call it homage or whatever to these other works. So it's kind of oddly fitting that the movie is to such a you know one-to-one -one comparison as well. Yeah. 
So really, there's not a whole lot to talk about, except like there's some fun things. I kind of like the fact that Johnny Cage has the whole let's dance. This is where you fall down. And then later on in the film, when he's fighting Goro, he does the same thing. Uh, You know, it's hammy, but it's at least some form of story structure. So that's cool. Right. And I kind of I like the the part where (laughs) Sonya is just I feel it. Is it funny that they're wearing like the same outfits for like three quarters of the movie? It seems like every time you see them, they're in the exact same outfit. She's wearing the same SWAT gear from like a month prior to where she was trying to find Kano in a in a nightclub and she's just like beating the shit out of people getting in her way and stuff. Yeah, you want to talk like, about oh. police brutality. She's just clubbing people who are just dancing <laughs> with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit awkward. It's definitely not um for what's going on in the times right yeah, now right. but <laughs> well then how about this you got johnny cage with 15 pieces of fucking luggage and he wears the same goddamn blue blouse the whole time right but i mean it makes sense if you think about it he loses one piece of luggage when he totally mistakes Liu kang for like help right which is really bad to start with a movie with but again this is the 90s so yeah. uh <laughs> so he loses one piece of luggage there which probably has all his fun little blouses and then you you have him lugging everything up the stairs to get into the temples and he you see him just drop everything else as well so for all we know he probably just has what he's actually wearing so kind of makes some sense maybe he's got like some biofreeze and like an electro stimulator in his other bag and he's got his like <laughs> his bamboo uh, tempurpedic pillow in another bag and then he's got some nice shoes that makes sense did did you ever did you ever notice when they first get to the island there's like the weird i don't know if it's called if it's continuity or what it would be called or just a gaff where they're walking on the beach and it shows a picture like a close-up of their faces and they're talking and then it shows behind them and there's a bunch of people everywhere behind them and then it shows their faces and then it goes back to where like they're walking on the beach and there's nobody did you notice that at all or no oh yeah it's just pandemonium all over the place all kinds of weird shit right and then that one the one time where they all get like food brought out onto the tables and then the tables get flipped up and there's no food and there's nothing on the ground even though like all the monks just like flipped everything all over like i don't know fun stuff <laughs> yeah what do you think of the debut of sub-zero and scorpion where they go below deck and sub-zero freezes the gun and then scorpion pops out his little hand monster thing i liked it i thought it was super cheesy but it was effective yeah and i like that it gives people a reason to like instantly give Raiden credibility because obviously Liu kang knows who he is because of his monkism but the other two were like what the fuck ever so they're like, oh, okay, so this guy is an authority figure because he was just able to electro zap two people who could do things I could only dream of. Got it. Right, right. And also, in a way, I don't know if at the time you had seen Goro yet. I don't think you had. It would just be like the first intro into like the sub bosses for Shang Tsung, right? Yeah. And you have almost like bad guys to cheer for. Right. Because obviously the video game, they were so wildly popular. So when you see them like IRL, if you will, it just, it, you know, it creates that extra excitement. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of like pro wrestling where there's a, a villain who's so good at being bad. where you are like, oh, I love him. Like Rowdy Roddy Piper. I'll always remember. I mean, he still got a lot of cheers, even though when he would be bad. And it's the same kind of thing here where it's like you're cheering for him because you know however vile he is when Scorpion pulls his mask off and shoots fire out of his skull, you're into it. <laughs> right? I feel like once upon a time, one of my favorite heels was ravishing Rick Rude. I think he was fucking badass. The idea of having your opponent's wife airbrushed onto your tights, that is <laughs> that is truly fucking evil and I love it. That's some that's some mental fuckery right there, right? Dude, I cannot fathom like how that comes to to mind. That's like a level of just like barbarous fuckwithery. It's awesome. <laughs> Touche, touche. Yeah. So, you know, when you get to see Sub Zero's powers in action, is when they like just disrupt dinner and they he freezes the dude who jump kicks at him. It kind of reminds me of Indiana Jones, where you got this guy who's like, whoa, 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 and pulls out his gun. Yeah. Pulls out his gun and shoots him. Yeah. I, I, you know what's funny is it's like they must have like all 
drawn straws, right? They're like, okay, so who's going to die like instantly yeah, right. right now, right? And the guy's just like, fuck. All right. Well, see you guys later. It's been fun. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, uh, I had a fever today, so that might help me against the ice creating demigod. Right. I mean, if it were me, I would be like running up to him, start to do a flying kick and then like trip and fall and yeah. be like, oh, oh, I, you know, it's uh, I can't I can't fight anymore. I don't know. It seems pretty serious, guys. Yeah, he's slipping. <laughs> ah, it's it's a sprain. It's a sprain. Hey, hey, mister, could you put some ice in a bag? I got to hide this. I'm going to go. You know, Darren, why don't you step in? And Darren's like, fuck, no. Oh, dude, that's so good. So did you notice that they say flawless victory a bunch of times, but there's only like two times that it actually applies with this being one of them? Yeah, I want to say it was Sonya against Kano. Yep. And that's, I think that counts as one of them because he doesn't actually land anything. And then it was with Johnny Cage against Goro, and right? Because he's exactly. he never he's actually gets like, the hit. He he pulls like the the Floyd Mayweather, right? <laughs> I'm just gonna have you tire yourself out until I can just you punch know, you in the dick, land my shit. I guess like Floyd Money Mayweather, just punching dicks. <laughs> so you, after that point, you got to see the shadow of Goro, and I, I thought it was kind of cool that they foreshadowed him with like his hand. Uh, where he's like peeking and watching, but then they immediately just cut to Kano eating with Goro. And I was like, oh, okay. But then I had to remember that like, oh yeah, Mortal Kombat was a huge phenomenon and everybody had seen Goro by this point anyway. So it was like, all right. right. But it was still yeah. cool to see how they executed this crazy thing with animatronics and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like this scene in particular with him eating food in front of Goro was probably the grossest part of the entire movie to me. Oh, yeah. With the turkey leg. Yeah. Anytime I see him like holding up this greasy, nasty turkey leg, I'm like, I'm almost turning vegan right now. <laughs> almost. But you find out at that point that Kano isn't trying to kill her. He is trying to humiliate her. So I thought it was kind of frustrating because I'm like, you can't just have the lady kick his ass. It's got to be like, oh, well, there's a game going on here, which I wasn't too fond of, but whatever. I like that you know the, the gang listens in and then they just magically end up on the set of Legends of the Hidden Temple and there's a bunch of goons that just get their ass kicked. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you have... All the goons show up and then Goro just kind of bounces, right? He just kind of just disappears. He's like, well, you're not worth my fucking time at the moment, I guess, because it's, you know, technically not really um, part of the tournament. So I guess, could he technically be disqualified? Yeah, it's, this isn't lose, league play. I was like, he would lose his 500 year fucking uh, win streak off of like legalities. <laughs> yeah, you're disqualified. I'm what? <laughs> So everybody likes to make fun of Johnny Cage because there's a scene where they're pursuing Katana and he goes down a hallway and he's like, she's been here. I know it. And then he, they're like taking out cobwebs, which would imply that nobody was there. But then he says he knows it because he can smell her perfume. But Sonya can't. And so I never took that to be him being stupid or it being a mistake. I took it to be like she had some kind of hypnotic allure over him and she was leading them. Did you get that? What do you think? I always thought it was just him being a sleazeball and thinking that he can just pick up and have like this radar, I guess, for like attractive women because he is like Mr. Rico Suave. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So then there's this random ass fight scene where Raiden pulls some Cheshire cat shit and scares off more bad guys with his sparkly fingertips. And then he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And by the way, Shang Tsung is just a diesel engine and souls are his fuel. Got it? <laughs> No big deal, right, guys? I mean, you know, Liu Kang, your brother, he's totally in that guy. Wait, not like that, but like other ways. <laughs> yeah, and then you cut to Liu Kang fighting some random dude, and he's like, hey, fatality, and he's like, no. And then you get Sonya versus Kano. Uh, give me a break, love. That's like a dad joke. It's like, Sonya, I'm hungry. Hi, Sonya. I'm, wait, hi, hungry, I'm Sonya. <laughs> now with this new Mortal Kombat movie is it going to be Ronda Rousey god I would rather punch myself in the dick than see that <laughs> she can't act she's so fucking terrible at acting she couldn't play herself in a cameo from the Entourage movie so no I really hope she's not I could have sworn I kept on reading that uh, she was going to be in Mortal Kombat or was she used as like a character model for the new video game that might be it 
Yeah, because okay. it's uh, Jesse McNamee is going to be playing Sonya in the movie, according to this. She was in The Meg and Battle of the Sexes. Interesting. I didn't see The Meg. Did you watch it? Yeah, was it's it fun. Good? It's fine. Yeah. It's yeah. not the best thing I've ever seen, but I mean, you know, if you, it's giant sharks that aren't in a tropical storm. I'm more into it. <laughs> From there, you get Johnny Cage versus Scorpion. Uh, there's the really trippy forest where it looks like everything's just copied and pasted. And then you get, you know, the little hand worm thing stretches too far, crushes and get kills over itself. Here. And then they just end up in a portal to hell. And, you know, Johnny goes full on fucking Captain America and takes a shield and cuts his head off. And what did you think Dude, of this fight I, scene? I thought it was fucking sweet. I, I feel like when I watched this as a kid... And he cuts his arm and you see like the orange goo come out. I was like, oh, my God, they totally took like uh, a lava lamp that was orange (laughs) and just like had that shit come out of his arm. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) It's really I mean, this is the best fight scene in the movie. It's better than the finale. It's better than the Johnny Cage one. It's just with Goro. It's just I don't know. I really like it. It was heavily used in the trailer for sure. I guess the actor kind of fucked himself up in this fight scene as well. Like he like got kicked in the ribs or in the spleen and it was like in between the pads or something. Like, of course it's going to be the spot that's not protected, but you know, and then you have him doing like the crow kind of, I don't know what that, what was his name? Drayden, Eric, um, Eric Draven. Eric Draven, yeah, where he does like the little uh, gymnastics thing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he like Woo-hoo! lifts himself up. <laughs> you're like, okay, I guess, yeah, you're you're a tumbler also. So yeah, whenever I see well, people do that, I, I mean, always want to say like, tally ho. <laughs> if this is based off of uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, it totally makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I like that they end the scene with basically Johnny Cage's uh, friendship which is the move in the video game where rather than kill them, he signs an autographed picture and gives it to the person he just beat up uh, because it ah, ends dude, with... Dude, I completely know. forgot about friendship. So how many were there? There was fatality. There was animality. There was babality. Yep. There was friendship. Um, am I missing any others? I I'm think sure those are the probably main a- classes and then there were like sub ones. So do you know actually how the animality started? I do not. It's kind of interesting. So there was a rumor that Scorpion could turn into a scorpion. So then in Mortal Kombat 2, Liu Kang has a fatality where he turns into a dragon, which is actually utilized in the movie Mortal Kombat Annihilation. But by that point, when they started to adapt it and add it for every other character, they changed it and called it animality. So you got Jax as like a lion and whatnot. And so it came out of a rumor mill and one guy kind of having the move because he turned into a mystical creature. But I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that is pretty cool. It's like not something they ever really planned for. It just kind of morphed into it in its own. You had Liu Kang versus Katana, and she's like, harder, daddy. And he's like, what? And then he doesn't have to kill her for some reason. You got Sub-Zero versus Liu, where he cheats because Raiden's like, hey, I'm going to leave some buckets of water over here. (laughs) Yeah, I really like that part. That was kind of cool. You know, the water wouldn't turn into a giant fucking icicle like yeah. that. Like physics ever. are weird. But <laughs> I mean, it was it was a cool effect. I have to say I'm very impressed at how forward thinking whoever designed this castle was with the long, you know, ADA compliant wheelchair ramp that clearly <laughs> like it was a set of stairs that they changed for some reason. It's awesome. And then basically he gets the bucket of water, turns into a spear and stabs him in his tchotchkes. And <laughs> then you got Goro and Shang Tsung are talking. You get a man tag. And then their little friend Art gets killed with the lamest one-handed axe handle smash I've ever seen. They get yeah. lectured by Raiden. And then it's Goro versus Cage. The true climax of the film, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever seen the behind the scenes footage where it's them like doing the blocking and a dress rehearsal of Goro getting punched in the nads? No, it's pretty cool. It's perfect. I wish they would have just kept that one in the movie because it's just fucking hilarious <laughs> and shitty and great. So what happens with Goro? Like he doesn't it's not like a fatality, but it kind of is because I guess he just needs to like kill himself after losing. Well, he falls off the cliff. This is the part where you fall down. That is the part where I fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all good because we know that the real crux of that fight is the dick punch. So the fact that he fell off a cliff and you didn't catch it, no big deal. 
<laughs> so then you got Shang Tsung being like, I'm a sore loser and I'm stealing Sonya Blade from you. And then this is where this is where it kind of goes back to me telling you, I feel like he kind of almost be like a angry hairstylist because you have <laughs> Sonya and her hair is just like, all done up. That like boom, super, right? Super teased, right? She's like Jane like, of the Jungle, for Christ's sake. I'm sorry. I didn't know they had blow dryers like <laughs> in the outer world yeah. or wherever the fuck they were. He's like, your teased hair is mine. <laughs> so and she's wearing like some like random skirt, like some leather. It was seems so out of place. She right? definitely didn't like, pack that in her carry on. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> So I really love the scarecrows and how they have like these corpses inside of them and the fact that they like throw reptile into it. That's such a creative idea to get there. That's just like really interesting. And that scene's just kind of fine. I like the way that the, you know, bugs fall out of him when he gets defeated. It reminds me of Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then I think in this fight scene is where you get the the famous bicycle kick, right? The first time. Yeah. And then you get the Hurricane Rana. He does a snap mare and everything. But uh, yeah, it's it's quaint. It's very much like, you know, this is where it's just kind of this one more than any other one kind of felt like filler to me. But because you had a really cool effect that bookended it on either side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then Katana appears, and it's Liu Kang versus Shang Tsung, and uh, you get the song, and they do the song, and they fight on the logo. Uh, they raise the zombies to fight. They, I really thought the zombies should have been like decrepit, but whatever, they're just there. He shapeshifts into his brother, Evan gets fireballed onto a spike, and there's a beam of light, and then you get the actual ghost brother, and yay, Shang Tsung is defeated. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's funny how Liu Kang is literally right in front of Shang Tsung and he shapes into his brother or shapeshifts into his brother and then he's like what what was his name I forget uh, Chow Chow yeah and he's just like Chow is it you and you're like come on dude he was right in front of you <laughs> yeah unless he was Chow who turned into Shang Tsung then back to Chow it's not Chow <laughs> And so yeah, I don't know. From there, they go to like the temple, and they're like, "Was what's a happy-go-lucky song?" I don't know happy music anymore. I just listen to angry stuff all the time. I just imagine like the the intro to Friends starts playing. There we go. <laughs> I'll be there for you <laughs> when Shao Kahn starts to fall. And then everything fucking crumbles and you see him and he's like, I'm going to bend you over. I'm going to butt fuck all you motherfuckers. Yeah. Wait, and it's basically just it's, claw from Inspector Gadget. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and it sets it up perfectly for, you know, round two. So everybody, it's a win-win. Which is bad. Like the original ending was just happy. And then they were like, oh, we're going to make a billion dollars. We better do this. And then they did it. And it's like, oh, I should have stayed with competent counsel. But yep, that's the movie. What do you think overall? I loved it, even though going back and watching it, and again, this is maybe 15, 20 years since I seen it last. It had been a minute, and it's just as good. There are a few parts here and there that I felt like are a bit too cheesy for my liking, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. I'd give it, I'm going to go with a trashic. Yep, I'm going trashic. Yeah, I think I got the same. Like, it is a, a, a good trashic, but it's not yes. a good, good movie. Like, it's good schlock. It's good for a video game movie. It's good with a very, like, big asterisk next to it being like, but... So I feel like with that, you can't get into true classic territory, right? Agreed. Now, if is there anything that you would like to see them recreate from this movie in the new one? And is there anything from this movie that you'd like hope they never do burn it down and try and avoid in the new one? I think I would like to see some of the OG um, fatalities redone in a more obviously more violent way. Yeah. In in the new movie, right? When you where you have like Goro and he does maybe like an axe punch or you know what I mean swinging down and then just like completely decapitate somebody or just like the the icicle spike. Not even killing Sub-Zero, but having Sub-Zero do that to somebody else, right? I completely agree. I think that's the thing this movie's lacking. Like, it does a lot without having, like, real gore. Like, they have gore sickles, but not real, like, blood and guts. And, I mean, I, I vividly remember disemboweling people or the one chick where she eats the person and just spits out their bones. And, of course, you can't forget Sub-Zero where he rips the guy's spinal cord out. So, having more of that. And I think also, you know... 
I really like that this movie tethers the stuff like because like just the get over here. If you ganked someone in the chest with a knife, they'd probably die. So the fact that they treat those like subtle moves as like big things, I think should happen in the new movie. And I just I don't I think that there's a lot of potential there with, you know, James Wan's work. Yeah, absolutely. And I also feel like they just maybe need to polish up some of the storyline before they get to said tournament, right? And that's something what that storyline. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't really have much substance when it comes to who these people are before they get to the tournament. But again, it's a video game movie about a tournament. So how I guess I don't know how much do they really need. Exactly. It's one of those self-explanatory things. We're not there for the story. We're there for the guts and combat. So let's get the guts because we already had the combat, right? Yeah, buddy. So I would just like to take an opportunity to thank our Patreon supporters and our people who are just listening now, even if you're not a Patreon supporter. Just the fact that you're listening is support. If you don't mind rating and reviewing and subscribing and all that stuff, it really helps us out. You know, the algorithms buttfuck us every single day. And it seems like every day I read a headline where a celebrity is like, I'm going to do a podcast, too. And I'm like, stop it, please. My niche is becoming even more niche. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No like, kidding. How am yeah. I supposed it, to compete with Jenna Fisher's Office Girls and Josh Gad doing whatever the hell? So you please, for the love of God, help make us famous so we could justify recording these stupid episodes. And also, you know, if you hadn't seen this movie in a while, check it out. It's on Netflix. Super easy to come across. And uh, it's an easy watch. Yeah, exactly. Even though it goes beyond our typical 90 minutes, it's still quite good and I enjoy it quite a bit. So, Brian, is it time to say goodbye to these goons for this week? If you ain't watching them dying, you ain't really trying. For Brian, I'm Jake reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Super excited about this hidden track. I really, really enjoy this band. And it's probably the easiest band to spell that we've ever featured because their name is Spell. This song is Dawn Wanderer, which was released April 10th of this year. They've been super gracious in communicating with me. I really enjoy all that they're doing. I, I'm picking up what they're laying down. I'm smelling what they're stepping in. If you want to follow them on social media, spellofficial.bandcamp.com, facebook.com slash spell. Spell, instagram.com slash spellofficial. The album release landing page is going to be subscribepage.com slash spell-dawn-wanderer. And the name of the song that we're doing is Dawn Wanderer. So you'll just look in the fucking episode description. If you don't know how the hidden tracks work by now, I mean, I can't, I can't be bothered to edify you as to this i i'm too busy trying to hurry up my intro so i could listen to the fucking song i like so much so please enjoy spell with dawn wanderer (laughs) 